this is Isaiah 49. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Thank you. Man, good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Big welcome to all of our moms, and I mean all of our moms. I think today is a day of joy and celebration, and yet at the same time, it can be a day of suffering, and, and it could be, you know, something in between. So, you know, I just want to say from the outset, for some of you, today is a day of joy and honor, and for others of you, today is a day of difficulty and pain, a day that brings up feelings of guilt, a day that uh, reminds you of the ways you failed others or others have failed you, and for many, Mother's Day serves to remind you of what you don't have yet, don't have anymore, or perhaps never had at all. And I just want from the outset to remind you that the gospel is not about your identity as a mom. It's not about your accomplishments or failures at all, but it's about your position as God's beloved daughter. And you hold that position of honor not because you've been a great mom, but because you've been redeemed by a great God. And um, so however you may be feeling today, we want you to know that we love you and we, we want to honor you today. And we're just family filled with a bunch of broken people who want to walk with you and remind you how loved you are wherever you find yourself today. So happy Mother's Day. We have a gift for you. We have a photo booth getting ready um, right outside, and that's going to be a lot of fun for family portraits at the end of this. And of course, we don't do this every Sunday, but this Sunday is a unique Sunday because moms are unique, and a mother's love is unique, and there's no human love quite like a mother's love. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> right? Um, and God points this out over 2,000 years ago through his prophet Isaiah. And so I want to talk about the love of a mother today and the life-changing truth that it points us all toward today, a truth that will really transform you if you will allow it to. It's a truth that meets us wherever we're at today. And um, if we're, whether we're like standing and shouting for joy at God's goodness or whether right now we feel like we're sitting in the shadows somewhere of sorrow, skeptical, and wounded, wherever you find yourself today, this truth, like a mother's love, is moving towards you with a warm hug and words of healing. And as you see the context, as you start to understand the story behind this passage we just read, um, you'll understand why that is. Because in this passage, the prophet Isaiah is giving Israel God's promise, smack dab right in the middle of their pain. Like Israel's wounded. They're confused. They're frustrated. They don't understand why things are going the way they are. If you know this part of the story, Israel's in exile in Babylon. And their temple's been torn down and they've been led astray and they're hundreds of miles from their home. And their identity is constantly under fire in a foreign culture and their life is filled every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, with struggle and with uncertainty and trial 
after trial, and it feels like the hits just keep coming. And here comes God's prophet. And he's, he has the audacity in the middle of all that to tell them about good news, that even in your pain, there is promise. Have you ever been hurting and somebody does that to you? You're in the middle of like mourning, grieving, frustration, and somebody comes up and says, well, let's talk about some hope right now. How does that make you feel? I'll tell you how it makes me feel. Last night, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm trying to get ready, and we had a pineapple, and I try not to waste. We're trying to be a zero-waste family. Go California. And so I'm trying not to waste any part of the pineapple, so I cut the shavings off the outside, and I boil them down because I'm going to make a pineapple simple syrup out of it and add some nutmeg and all that. So I got it boiling in the background. It's going to be yummy. Add the sugar. And then I'm in a hurry, though, because I got to preach tomorrow. And so I'm kind of feeling stressed. So I run over. I get the funnel. I go to pour the, the uh, hot sugar syrup into the funnel. It flips over and just burns my hand. Ah! So I go run into the restroom. I'm running cold water on it. I'm digging around for aloe vera or burn cream. I'm trying to figure it all out. And like a few minutes later, I'm sitting on the couch with my hand elevated and just green goop all over it. And Gavin comes over and goes... Yuck, Dad, what's on your hand? And I'm like, uh, I burned myself, Gavin. Does it hurt? Yeah. <laughs> Hurts a lot right now. Um, why'd you burn yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Bubba, I'm in, I'm in a lot of pain. I was pouring the syrup. I'm, I'm in a lot of pain. He goes, well, don't worry, Dad. I burned myself here, and it doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> and, he's like, and then he says, you're an adult. You would think you'd know that. <laughs> Thanks, Gavin. <laughs> we don't always like promise right in the middle of our pain. Yet when Israel is hurting the most, God sends a good word to them through his prophet Isaiah. And he says, God is going to bring you back from exile soon. And eventually God's going to bring all these nations around and God's going to minister to them through you. And ultimately God's going to restore everything in creation to the way it was supposed to be. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more hunger or war or disease or death. The pain won't last forever. But watch how they respond to all this. Great news. It says, but Zion said, now Zion's a little hill in Jerusalem where the temple was, and it's been leveled by the Babylonians, right? So Zion has come to represent Israel or the people of Israel. And so it's basically saying, Israel says, verse 14, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. So the first 13 verses of this passage, which I cut for time, are just full of God's expansive promise and all this amazing stuff that God is going to be doing. And Israel's response is, uh, yeah, that's great, but I don't feel very loved right now. Sure, there's all these promises of loving action one day, but I don't feel loved. And then verses 15 and verse 16 we see God's response. And I'd like to look at God's response today because in verse 14, we, we see, you know, a very typical condition that a lot of us find ourselves in from time to time. Right now in our church, there's a lot of people probably feeling this way at the moment right now. Israel's sorrow and mourning in light of the tragedy that they're facing isn't only valid, it's biblical. It's a natural response to the effects of sin in this broken world. We're called to mourn, to weep with those who weep, right? But God knows something. 
God knows that when they're down, they're vulnerable, open to attack and, and influenced by the enemy of their soul. And they're not only struggling with pain, but also with the resulting questions and the mounting skepticism in their heart. So God deals with their hearts and how he does it is incredibly helpful for us today. So let's look at verse 14, which is a painful question. Verse 15, which is an answer to the question. And verse 16, which is a cure for the pain. You guys ready? Two of you. Anybody else? You guys ready? All right, let's do it. Number one, the painful question. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Sometime today, if you get time between all the Mother's Day shindigs, um, Go back and read the promises of verses 1 through 13, because it's epic. It's beautiful. It's expansive. And here's what the people are saying. They're like, yeah, sure, one day you're going to bring salvation. It's going to be amazing. But what about right now? Because I feel forsaken now. You've forgotten me. You've forsaken me. Like, I'm surrounded by needs. I'm surrounded by tragedy now. Look at Zion. Zion's in ruins. The temple's in ruins. The temple was the... That physical representation of your constant love for us, your assurance of your love for us, and now it's gone. There's, there's no way you love us. You hear the pain? You hear the skepticism? And this question represents a condition of human hearts that we need to look at. And what's that condition? It's something like this. Notice, notice what they don't say in verse 14. They don't say, we don't believe all these promises, God. They don't say, oh, we don't believe in God anymore. Right? They, don't, they don't say all these things, they're never going to happen. No, they know it's true. They know that God's promises are true, but it's not affecting them. What they've heard about God isn't affecting them right now. These promises God's given them aren't penetrating their heart in this moment of pain. Why? Because it's, it's possible for the human heart to live in the presence of truth and to know that truth to be factual intellectually and yet not have that truth affect the way in which you feel or the way in which you live at all. It's possible to say, like, I see this all the time. Yeah, I believe God's a God of love, but it doesn't affect how we live. It doesn't affect how we feel. It doesn't shape us. Dr. Richard Loveless says it this way in one of his books. He says, it is an item of faith that we are children of God, yet there's plenty of experience in us against it. The faith that surmounts this evidence and is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love, instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from other sources, is actually the root of holiness. See what he's saying there? He says, it's an item of faith. We have to believe that we're children of God, and yet there's evidence against it. But the faith that surmounts the evidence and is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love, instead of stealing love, and self-acceptance from other sources, that heart-level faith is the root of holiness. What's he saying? He's, he's talking about the same thing we see here in verse 14. It's the same thing. We may say, oh, I believe I'm a child of God. I believe God loves me, but there's all kinds of evidence against that. There's evidence inside you that's against that. Sometimes you see stuff deep in there, if you're honest. You look in the mirror, and you see your brokenness, and you say, I don't know how God could or would love me, considering what I feel, considering what I've done, considering who I am. There's a lot of evidence inside me that makes me not feel lovable or loved by the God of the universe. And there's also a lot of evidence outside. Have you guys experienced seeming unanswered prayers or devastating disappointments? 
or moments where there are more questions than answers, moments where you sense God's absence more than you sense his presence. And he says, yeah, but we believe we're children of God. We may believe it with our heads. We may subscribe to that belief that God is a God of love. I believe that, but I see all the unanswered prayers around me. I see all the feelings inside of me, so I don't feel his love very deeply right now. Not as deeply as I feel all this other stuff. God's love isn't much of reality in my heart. It's not transforming the affections of my heart. See, what Dr. Richard Loveless is getting at is this. You can't just live like that. Because if you don't surmount the evidence, if you don't find a way to get past it, if you don't find a way to move beyond the mental subscription to doctrine, somehow to heart-affecting, life-changing transformation by that doctrine, then you're going to steal self-acceptance and love from other sources. You'll say, oh, yeah, I believe God loves me, right? But your heart really doesn't believe that. And as a result, what's he mean by stealing? Stealing love and affection. You're going to choose careers poorly. You're going to stay in relationships that maybe you shouldn't be in. You're going to overwork. You're going to burn out. You're going to do all kinds of stuff because at the bottom, you really have to steal love. You have to steal a sense of acceptance from all those other places because You're getting none of them from the thing you say you believe. That is that God loves you. I believe God loves me. Then then why am I not living like it? That's what has to be addressed here in this passage. And of course, like for many of us, when things are going well, it kind of, our beliefs seem fine when things are going well. When things are sailing along smoothly, you know, and, you know, God's calling us right in the middle of a church service and you're like, hello, Lord. Yeah, I'm just, I've got a direct line straight to you, right? When, when things seem like everything's on the up and up, it's perfect, right? The, the, the fact that our intellectual belief in God isn't affecting our hearts doesn't necessarily create a problem. But the minute things go bad, the minute the stuff hits the fan, suddenly all those areas of disconnect and disbelief are exposed. And suddenly this painful question, right? I feel forsaken. I feel forgotten. Where are you right now, God? No, no matter what the Bible says, I, I, I know I actually kind of believe it, but I don't really sense it right now. That's the painful question. And some of you are struggling with that question right now. So quickly, let's move on to point number two. How does God deal with this? How does God deal with this despondency and this sense of forsakenness or, or being forgotten? Well, as I said, there's two things he does. He gives an answer to the question and a cure for the pain. First, the answer to the question in verse 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Can a nursing mother forget the baby at her breast? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. That's a wonderful verse. And before we dive into what he's actually saying, um, I want you to see how God deals with despondent, despairing people. Because first of all, I want you to see what God doesn't do. God doesn't just say, hey, well, suck it up, man. Life's hard. Don't you know that? Toughen up a little bit. In fact, verse 15 and verse 16 show God engaging with us and letting himself pause and be interrupted. Can you imagine interrupting God? You see that? The prophet Isaiah, he's going along and suddenly in comes verse 14. He says, yeah, I don't believe that. Like, try interrupting any authority in your life. If you're in the military, what would it be like to just interrupt your drill instructor? right? 
Or as a student, for those of us who are students, like your professor's going on and you're like, I don't believe that. <laughs> it's math. What do, you, <laughs> what do you not believe? Or how many of you had your mom or dad like correcting you and they're right in the middle of it and they're all angry and you're like, stop mom, I don't care. Like how would that go for you? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah. Go right back over the top. But that's not what God does. How does God respond when he's interrupted? God pauses and he takes the outburst seriously. He doesn't just say suck it up. He lets himself be interrupted. He attends to our heart. He deals with it. He invites you to dialogue with him. But that's not all he does. Another thing I want you to see is God doesn't just give emotional support. He does. But he also gives a very, very challenging kind of truth. And he appeals to the mind. God asks a question. And any time in Scripture God asks a question, your ears should perk up. right? Because God wants to deal with your heart in that moment. And the, at the center of this question is a metaphor. It's a metaphor, right? That, that the God of the universe compares himself to a nursing mother. How is the God of the universe like a nursing mom? And how is the God of the universe unlike a nursing mom? Now, on one hand, the answer to that question, it requires an enormous amount of thought, right? Hard thinking. If you've taken a class in school in poetry or literature and you talk about metaphors, there's endless connections between these two things, a metaphor or a simile. So what are the connections between what God is like and what a nursing mom is like, and how are they unlike? So on one hand, the answer to that question requires an enormous amount of thought because God is saying, I want you to think. On one hand, this, this is theology, but it's not, it's not just theology. It's like theology that's designed to get down past your brain and into your heart, into your emotions, and affect your affections. This verse 15 is God saying, I want to bring my theological truth into the closest possible connection with the affections of your heart until it begins to change them. He says, I want you to think, I want you to ponder, I want you to meditate. I'm going to give you a very challenging metaphor, a theological idea, and I want you to think, think, think about it until you start to feel something. That's what you have here in verse 15. And he says what? Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Now, look, if we're going to be helped by this, God wants us to meditate and reflect on the nature of a bond between a nursing mom and her infant. And there are at least three reasons why a mother cannot forget her infant and why the bond between a nursing mother and infant is so strong, maybe as strong as any human bond at all. And the first is a mother can't physically forget her infant, right? Nursing moms, former nursing moms, right? You don't, you don't need to set appointments on, on Alexa Say, hey, time to nurse the baby, right, in the background. Like, that happened the other night. We were in the middle of studying the Bible as a GCM, and Alexa's like, time to give Gavin his medicine. I'm like, shut up, Alexa. I'm trying to study the word of God here. Time to give that. It's interrupting. You don't need outside reminders because you feel uncomfortable if you don't nurse the baby, right? The, the milk's coming in and, and because of your prolactins. You, you impressed that I knew that? study. In other words, the more you nurse, the more you have to nurse, right? The more you nurse, the milk comes in and you start to feel uncomfortable if you don't nurse the baby. In other words, a mom can't forget her child physically because a mother's physical nature is moving her toward the child. 
But it's not just that. It's not just that a mother can't forget physically, she can't forget emotionally. Because nursing doesn't just release prolactins, which bring in more milk, but nursing also releases oxytocin. And how do those make you feel? Wunderbar. Yeah, absolutely. That was German. I don't know. I don't know where the German came from. Oxytocin make you feel delight and contentment, especially as you see your child. So not only can a mother not forget her child physically, she can't forget her child emotionally. And there's these enormous forces inside of her that are moving her towards her baby. As a result, the mother's love for her child is not just physical and not just emotional, but it's unconditional. Think about every other kind of relationship. Friendships, marriages, all the other. You know, marriage, you stand up in front of everybody before God and you say, I'm going to love this person no matter what. No matter what. But let's, let's be honest. Let's be real. Even in marriage, it takes give and take, right? If you don't have give and take in marriage, if, there's, if it's not mutual, then eventually the marriage just falls apart. But look at the relationship between a mother and an infant. Is there give and take? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of give and take. The infants all take, <laughs> and the mothers all give, Right? Listen, mothers, honestly, what do, you, what do you get from your infants when they're in that phase? Nothing. They don't take you out to dinner. They don't make you a Mother's Day card. They don't, they don't buy you a car or take you to get your nails done. There's no give and take. Right? It's just take, take, take at that stage. An infant takes and does nothing to earn your love. And yet, if you're a nursing mother, 24-7, your entire life revolves around your baby. You can never forget your baby. You can never be away all the time, all the time, all the time, how physical and emotional and unconditional is a mother's love for her child. And as that child grows up, that nurturing love continues to grow, and it takes on different forms. And there's a certain kind of love, I think, that moms give that us fathers are kind of bewildered at, like how patient and gracious they are toward the kids. And you're like, man, I wish I could be that patient and gracious. And as a husband, I wish I could get some of that patience and grace. So that's not, right? Just do that in there for you guys. <laughs> but God says, I want you to compare that to me. That physical, emotional, unconditional love of a mother. Now, here's the punchline. Almost all translations say, though she may forget, she will not forget you. But the Hebrew doesn't say, though she may forget. It says, she will forget. You say, what's that mean? You say, well, a mother will forget? What does that mean? Well, here's what God's saying. I'm both like and unlike a human mother. Here's how I'm unlike a human mother. Human mothers forget. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's be honest. No human mom is perfect, right? And some human moms are outright bad. Despite the prolactin, despite the oxytocin, in spite of everything, some human moms just abandon their kids. And you say, oh, I had a good mom. Yeah, but eventually, what if she keeps on? If she gets old enough, eventually she will forget you. We all will get old enough. We all begin to forget. And if we all live long enough, we all pass on from this life into eternity. And eventually we all lose our moms. I'm terrified of that day. Motherly love seems so unconditional. It seems so indestructible, but... It's not because human beings aren't indestructible. We're very, very, very destructible. 
But God says, my love's not destructible. My love is unconditional. It's eternal. I, I will never leave. I will never forsake. I will never forget you. Do you know what God's saying here? He says, you see motherly love, it's amazing. There's nothing like it, but it's just a signpost to my love for you. In fact, if you were to compare, there's nothing compared to my love for you. Do you see her physical love? How, How she moves toward you, her very being moves towards you? Do you know that everything about my glory, everything about my faithfulness, everything about my love for you, my my very nature drives me towards you. I'm a God of love. I'm a God of faithfulness. I love you. And beyond that, God's love is emotional. For God to compare then and say, I'm infinitely greater than a nursing mother. When you know, you know a nursing mom just dotes on her child. If you ever watch a nursing mom's face, I remember when Nancy was, her face as she nursed our kids, you see the radiance, you see the glow, right? And God says, <laughs> he has the audacity to say that even that glow is just a dim hint of my delight in you. And then there's this weird phrase that says at the end, your walls are ever before me. What's that about? Well, he's talking to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city of God and city has walls in those days. And he's saying, in the same way that the the life of the city is ever before me, your life is ever before me. I don't miss a moment. I'm there. I'm there every second of your life, everything that you're going through. I see it. I never forget you. Can a mother forget her child? A mother's fixed on her child. I'm even more fixed on you than a nursing mother is on her child. Then, of course, unconditional Think about it. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, it's kind of insulting to say, to us at least, that um, I love you like a nursing mother loves her infant. Why? Well, who are we in that equation? We're the infant, right? So God is saying, really, in the grand scheme of things, you give me nothing. It's, it's nothing but take, take, take. You're, you're probably a lot more selfish than you realize, You really had no value to my life at all. In fact, you cost me my life, but I was willing to lay it down for you to show you I absolutely love you unconditionally forever and forever. So let me ask you a question. If you knew a love of this magnitude from a a person of this magnitude, like if you knew that was truly yours and nothing could separate you from that love, if the reality of this kind of love was an abiding reality to your heart, moment by moment, existentially, consciously. Like, what kind of person would you be as a result of that? Probably be a little different than the person who's sitting here right now. Your life would be made alive by a a different kind of love that you've only heard about in stories but never fully experienced. At the very least, I could tell you this. If you really believed in your heart how much God loves you, there would be a fountain of joy within your life that no circumstance and no tragedy could ever put a cork in. Not at all. Sure, we'd feel sorrow, we'd mourn, we'd grieve the results of sins, but it would not be something that would cause us to question his love. It wouldn't be a sickness unto death, as it were. But guess what? God's not done. Because what we have right now so far is ultimately all this has just been talk. Here's a painful question. Here's a good answer to the question, like a brilliant answer to that question, yet it's still just talk. And we, 
We have to go on to verse 16 if we're going to find a cure for the pain. And here's why. In the end, what really convinces somebody that you're loved? What really convinces you that somebody loves you? Is it talk or is it action? That's what the Bible says in 1 John, right? Beloved, let us not love in word only, but in deed and in truth. Isn't that right? Look, when you're in a new relationship and um, when you're trying to find out, does somebody really love me? Words are pretty important. Oh, I love you, baby. You're so pretty. You're so fine. Mm. You know, whatever. <laughs> I'm trying here. I'm reaching to the... <laughs> I can't really see you guys, but those that I see, it's just kind of like, just staring at me like, are we talking here? Um, oh, baby, I love you. Affectionate words are important. But what I really want to see is action. This is my wife and I, this constant thing, because she's an she's a, uh, acts of service person, and I'm a words of affirmation person. So what I'll do to show her that I love her is tell her in a card, in a poem, a sonnet from a hilltop. <laughs> and she's like, could you do the dishes, though? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, that, it's that song by the poet extreme, saying I love you. It's not the words I want to hear from you, right? Help me out. It's not that I want to. Not to say, not to say <laughs> but if you only knew how easy it could be to let you see, show your love. I, I got to sing it. Saying I love you. Sing it with me if you know. Is not the words I want to hear from you. Right? The chorus goes what? More than words. All right. So don't just give me words. Give me action. And that, that's the problem here with Israel. They're like, yeah, God, I, we know your word. We've heard it over and over. Many of us memorized it. But I don't feel loved right now. Why? Because forsaken means you're not doing anything for me right now. I want to see action. And this creates a problem. Let's, let's stick with the metaphor for a second of us with kids, parents and kids. Moms, you know this. One of the most frustrating things about being a parent is the ongoing stages of growth with your kids because babies can take it out of you. You're not getting any sleep, right? They're constantly crying and fussing and diapers. Yuck, you know, just, ah, man. You know, you're changing the diapers and somehow it comes up the back and, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's like, man, it's just exhausting. But as absolutely draining as a newborn baby is, an infant, how you completely orient your life around an infant and, and, and how you get nothing, really, it's not quite as frustrating as when your kids start talking you know, by the time your kid's like five years old, six years old, and you've already completely oriented your whole life around them. You've made sacrifice after sacrifice. Your whole life's changed, but all your sacrifices are completely invisible to them. Your kids have no clue what all you've done for them, your sacrifices, any more than a fish knows what water is because the fish doesn't know anything but water. It's just water. And then your kids are like, as far as our kids are concerned, it's like, yeah, adults are here to meet my every need. That's why God created adults, to give me what I want, right? And then you have to go against your kid's wishes. And you have to say, no, you can't buy that toy at Target. Or no, it's too late for ice cream. You tell them it's too late. And they, you say, no, you can't eat that. No, you can't go there. And they scream out, you don't love me. 
<laughs> when they do that, what do you want to say to them? You, you little twerp. <laughs> if you only knew how much I've sacrificed for you, all the things I've given up for you, the countless ways I've reoriented my entire life around you, the job I didn't take, the time we didn't move, all this stuff, the acts of love I've done for you, but maybe these aren't the things you want right now, but how can you question my love? Don't you see how we do that with God? Don't you see, when we read the Bible, we see words, 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 so we say, why aren't you doing something for me right now? If you don't love me because you're not answering my prayers right now. If you really loved me, you would fill in the blank. We all have one of those right now, by the way. I bet you if you really search your heart, what is your, if you really loved me, God, you would fill in the blank. And through this text, God is making us think, and he's asking you to think through this metaphor, to take time to pause and reflect and meditate. It takes thinking, but if you do, it will change your life because God says this to us. And he usually leaves the part out about twerp, but not always. Sometimes he, that's in the Bible too. But he says, you haven't seen the magnitude of my sacrifice for you. The most crucial deed of my love that really matters is not the one you're worried about right now. What is it? It's in verse 16. What is it? In verse 16, the metaphor changes and he says, see, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. And I'm indebted to Tim Keller for this point here. I love this. At first, it just, that looks like just another nice metaphor about God's devotion. And so, but it's so much more, and here's, here's why. You know, in ancient times, a master might be tattooed on his servant, but never ever is the name of a servant tattooed on the master, because that would mean that the master was somehow devoted to the servant. But that's what we have, right? And you say, oh, isn't that beautiful? That's just so sweet. It's another nice little metaphor about God's love and God's devotion to us. No, it's not. It's, a, it's not a beautiful metaphor. It's a horrific metaphor. It's a horrifying one. You know why? It doesn't even say tattooed. It says, I've engraved you on the palms of my hand. And that word engraved in the Hebrew is a very specific Hebrew word that's only used one time in the Old Testament. It means engraved with a hammer and a chisel or a spike. And now that metaphor is terrifying. It's it's horrific. It's grotesque. Why in the world would you conjure up some image of someone out of love, letting people take a hammer and drive a spike right into the palm of their hand? Isn't that horrible? Isn't that crazy? Isn't it cringeworthy? No, it's not. It's not crazy. Because centuries later, there was a man named Thomas. And Thomas was like this guy here in verse 14. He was filled with doubts. He's saying, I can't be sure. And everybody around Thomas is like, Thomas, snap out of it, man. There's good news, right? He's risen. Everything's going to be okay. And yet Thomas is filled with skepticism and anxiety and doubts. Thomas had a promise that was being overwhelmed by his pain. And what happens is Jesus Christ appears to him and he says, look at the palms of my hands, Thomas. See my love for you. Look at the palms of my hands. And that's our final point today, because far more than words, it's far more than a nice sentiment. It's an act of love. It's, it's not just talk. This is action. You know why this is our final thought? What if you say, oh, I can't believe that God loves me, because look at all the awful stuff in me. Look at the stuff in my past, in my rearview mirror that I tried to hide from, and all the things that I hide under layers of, of good works and, and affirmation statement. But look, look at the things I've done. You know what Jesus says? 
Are you afraid the Father's going to forsake you? On the cross, I was forsaken. I said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I was forsaken. I got the forsakenness that you sense you deserve. So now, no matter what you do, God will never forsake you. He loves you as unconditionally as a mother loves her nursing infant. And you say, yeah, but what about all the stuff out there, the crazy things outside of my control, the, the difficulties and the sorrows and the silence and the seeming unanswered prayers? Do you know what Jesus says? Don't you see? I've done the thing that you really need. And if you see I've done that, will you please trust me? I mean, it's what we as parents want to tell a five-year-old. When when you see everything I've done for you, will you please trust me? You don't need that toy right now. You think you need that. You don't need that. Please go to your room. Look, I love you. We'll figure it out later, okay? Or it's what Gavin was trying to tell me yesterday. When Gavin was like, Dad, the owie won't hurt forever. Like, shh, Gavin, not right now. (laughs) And this is the final point today. Do you know what? If right now your soul's restless, if right now your soul, like Thomas, is filled with doubts and anxiety, even skepticism, if right now you feel forsaken and forgotten and abandoned, then you're like a restless infant, crying and overwhelmed and whining, That is until it gets a hold of the milk. And this is the milk today. This is the loving embrace your soul longs for. This This is your choice now. Even if you sit here today, even if your parents did abandon you, you know, you know what Psalm 27 says? It says, though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will bear me up. You know, maybe your mom did forget you. Maybe your father did forget you. Whatever's happened to you, none of this has to darken your life. It's your choice now. Today, you can begin through meditation and contemplation and through taking the raw material of God's word and working it into your heart, drilling it down deep into the soul of your life. You could be melted by the spiritual understandings of the gospel into this blazing joy about God's love for you. You have to live in holy consciousness of this, it says. And look, if you don't, You're going to have to take your identity from somewhere. You're going to have to take it from what people say to you. And you'll be crushed when you're insulted. Or you'll toss and turn at night when you've been slighted by somebody. Or you'll be elated when something goes right, but then you'll be destroyed when you put on weight and look in the mirror. Why? Because you're stealing your identity. You're stealing your love from, from how you look and what people say. You're stealing love from other sources. But you can be free from all of that today. None of that has to darken your life. God is like a good mother. And you know how good our, our, our good mothers are. They never leave us. They never forget us. They, they're always after you. They'll, they'll move heaven and earth. They'll do anything so that you can flourish. Well, this mother, if you will, can move heaven and earth, has moved heaven and earth, and you will flourish wherever you're at today. Suffering or celebrating this Mother's Day, you're loved more than you can imagine, comfort yourself with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Let your your heart be brought back to life by the love of a God who gave his everything so that he can draw you close, show you his love for you. Let's pray.
thank you, Father, again in these passages in Isaiah for, for an astonishing demonstration of your grace. Lord, we know we, we don't know the gospel. We know the gospel well enough to know we don't know it. <laughs> um, we, under, we understand little pieces, but we don't understand it fully. We don't understand its power. Its power hasn't been fully released into our lives. But we see here today more ways for us to do that. In some ways, it, it has been released as we've been listening to your word. And the Holy Spirit's moved on our hearts. And I ask you now, Lord, for everybody in this room, that you just drive down deep into our hearts what you've said to us, that in Jesus Christ you love us, that you'll never forget us, that what he took on the cross is what we deserved. And now we belong to you. Our lives are ever before you. We're engraved on the palms of your hands. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to know and to be shaped by that. In Jesus' name we ask.